2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be. So if you turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you need a Bible, uh, we have Bibles provided in the seats here. And so if you guys would just make sure everybody has a Bible who needs one, pass them around. And uh, we always put the scripture up on the screen for you as well. Uh, But if you don't have a Bible at home, take that one home that's in the seat there. We'd be uh, really glad if you could have that Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So coming off of a men's retreat, I haven't shaved. I'm trying to, you know, go beardy for the men's retreat. Uh, would you forgive me if I do one more uh, sports illustration? It's been a lot of sports illustrations at a, at a men's retreat. So I'll do one more and you can forgive me and then we'll be done for a month or so. This week, three men were inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. It was a pretty cool week. All, all the guys who juiced up on steroids, they left them off this year. Uh, but three men were inducted into the Hall of Fame and two of the three were my heroes in baseball growing up as a child in Atlanta, Georgia, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. Uh, Greg Maddox won four Cy Young Awards. Cy Young is the, the most prestigious pitching award in baseball, and he was the first to break three in a row, and he ended up getting actually four in a row. Uh, Tom Glavin won two Cy Young Awards, and these guys were, were teammates, and through the 1990s, if you remember, the Atlanta Braves were, they were a force to be reckoned with, and it was, seemed like it was always World Series, the Atlanta Braves and the Yankees. So when I moved up to Boston, it worked out really well that I could hate the Yankees along with all of my, my Boston friends. And so um, these guys were teammates, and as a Little League baseball player and a left-hander, I was a center fielder, I was a first baseman, and I was also a pitcher, and I just remember many, many hours in my backyard pitching up against the chain link fence with a tire tied to uh, the fence and just pitch after pitch after pitch after pitch. And the best was when my dad comes home from work and he would run inside and he would grab his glove and replace the tire and become uh, my catcher. I just had so many great memories of my dad still in his post office uniform. He was a mailman uh, squatting down and catching all of my pitches up against the fence. And I I remember specifically while pitching, pretending that I was Greg Maddox or pretending that I was Tom Glavin or pretending that I was John Smoltz. These guys made up, I think, the best baseball bullpen in all of uh, Major League Baseball history. Just pitch after pitch after pitch, just doing reps, just reps. So I could be a better 11-year-old pitcher and and just, just training so that I might be like my hero. Now, as Christians, who's our hero? Our hero is God. Our hero is, is Christ. We want to be like him. He is God in the flesh. So if you ever wonder what God looked like, if he was one of us, how he would live, how he would act, how he would relate with people, that's Jesus, right? One of the passages we looked at last week was 1 Timothy chapter 4, 7 and 8. Let me just read this for you one more time before we get into 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4 says this, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so at the start of the new year, we want to be very, very careful to simply make resolutions for for bodily training. I'm going to run, I'm going to hit the gym, I'm going to eat better. More than anything, we want to resolve to pursue godliness. We want to resolve to train for godliness. This is often referred to as spiritual discipline. And and so uh, what we did is we we got our our most creative minds together at the start of this uh, teaching series, and we came up with the title, Spiritual Discipline. And so that's where we're going, and we're calling it Spiritual Discipline. We'll look at that for a few weeks together. And so last week we 
introduce the series, and then this week and the weeks ahead, we're going to look at some specific spiritual disciplines, practices, exercises to train you towards uh, godliness, to help you to be like our hero, God, Christ, Jesus. Now, I'll say this at the start of looking at a list of spiritual disciplines, that there is no uh, complete, exhausted list of spiritual disciplines, just like there's no complete, exhausted, uh, exhaustive list of uh, exercises to make you a, a better basketball player. Um, so there's, there's many more that we won't cover, but we want to kind of cover some of the foundational ones, and there's a lot of overlap there. And so this week, we're going to look specifically at the discipline of eating well, of dietary discipline that is spiritually eating, spiritual food, spiritual diet, Bible intake. The Bible is power food for the believer. And so let's read uh, together 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll read 16 and 17. Here's what it says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. That's man and woman of God. He's speaking specifically to a young man, his disciple, Timothy. But it applies to us all. Now remember, bodily training is of some value, we saw. But training in godliness is of value in every way. So not just more value, but it's of value in every way. In other words, training in godliness bleeds into every other area of our lives. And notice here what 2 Timothy uh, 3.16 says. It says that scripture... The Bible, God's word, is able to train you for righteousness, godliness, so that you might be a a man or woman of God. And so let me just tell you that this discipline is is first in our study of the specific spiritual disciplines because it is the most foundational and most profitable of all disciplines because from this discipline, all other spiritual disciplines flow. So in the scriptures, we learn how to... Pray. Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. We learn how to pray. In this uh, discipline in the Bible, we learn about uh, the Sabbath, about resting. In this uh, discipline in the scriptures, we learn about solitude. We learn about fasting. We learn about community. We learn about service. On and on we could go. And the discipline of, of Bible intake, eating the scriptures, feeding off of the scriptures, is foundational. It's foundational. There's this song that people sing, and it you know, it's a good song, but it, it kind of drives me nuts as well at the same time. It's a song. It's an older Christian worship song. Uh, this is the air I breathe. Uh, this is my daily bread. Your, your, your word, right, spoken to me. People sing it. And I always felt like, do we really mean that? We just casually raise our hands and this is the, my daily bread. I eat the, and I'm like, really? Have you been feeding off of this this week? I don't ever want to sing that song as a hypocrite. And so I, there was often times where I just didn't sing it because I said, that, it's really not true. I would probably be lying if I was declaring to the Lord that this is my daily bread today. But I've grown in the discipline. I pray that you would grow in this discipline as well, that you would feed off of the scriptures, that you would long for the scripture like some of you. You know, you know who you are. You long for ice cream. I want you to long for, for the scripture. You long for chocolate. I want you to long for the scripture. We had a men's retreat. We were longer for some steak. Peter was walking around with a bowl, and he had a, a, a fork, and it was covered in brown. I said, where'd you get chocolate ice cream? He goes, no, it's a bowl of steak. <laughs> he had cut up steak. He was walking around the house. I'm like, that's great. That's great. It starts out here. We're to feed off the scripture. It starts out here that all scripture is breathed out by God. So the whole of scripture ultimately are the very words of God. 
These, these are the very words of God. That God used all kinds of people to write the Scripture, from poor people to wealthy people to insignificant people to, to political figures. He used all kinds of people to write uh, Scriptures. He allowed their personalities and their cultural context to, to shine through. But ultimately, it was the Word of God. It's, it's actually breathed out God speaking through people. These are the words of God. And I want you to slow down with me and just sit in that for a minute if we can. That these are... The, the words of God. That God is the authority in all things. And the primary way he speaks today is through his word to people. And the word of God is readily available to you. At my house, I probably have 10 Bibles on shelves all over the place. I mean, access to Scripture. Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is also required. Before JFK said it, Jesus said it. So think about people in your world, in your area of interest, that are known as the authority on something. So we have a lot of PhDs in in the church here. So you PhDs, smart people in the room. Think about the leading expert in your particular discipline. Now imagine if that expert said to you, listen, I'm here for you. Here's my, here's my phone number, day or night, call me anytime. I, I, I just want to be able to, to be at your disposal. If you need me, I'm here. How phenomenal would that be? What if, what if for any of us in here, there was someone who uh, was the leading authority in your area of interest? Maybe you're an artist of some kind, and that authority said to you, At any given time, I am at your disposal. Call me up, sit down with me. I am here for you. Maybe you're uh, a businessman or woman and the leading person in your particular area says, I'm anytime, uh, seriously, anytime I'm here for you. You're an entrepreneur. Anytime I am here for you, my wisdom is at your disposal. In the ministerial world that I live in, there are a couple of people that immediately come to mind. If I could sit down with that person, Oh, man, if I could just call them at any given time. I have so many crazy things that come my way throughout any given week. If I could sit down with them, I I would be all over that, picking their brains. What do you do with this? It's never come my way. I I would love that. But imagine with me, if they gave you that kind of access and you seldom used it. They would be insulted, right? You really don't value what I have to say were you lying to me oh i worship you god i value you're everything yet he says here's here's what you need to know for life and godliness scripture says all things pertaining to life and godliness right here not just all things pertaining to godliness all things pertaining to life and godliness everything you need it's right it's right here he's he would be insulted don't insult god But at the same time, don't miss out. Don't miss out. I mean, the scriptures are rich. They are treasure. And and I'm sitting here, standing here as a person who says, I've experienced the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God right here in scripture. And I long for you to be able to, to have that access. You have it, but to tap into it. The very words of God at your disposal. It goes on. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's ready for you. It's right here. It's the very word of God in front of you. And it says it's profitable for what? For teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now what I want to do is I want to look for the next little while at each of those benefits of the scriptures, of the breathed out words of God at your disposal. And I also want you to notice the progression of each of these. It starts with teaching, moves towards reproof, correction, training in what? Righteousness or godliness or, or holiness. So first of all, let's look at scripture is profitable for teaching. So here's what the scripture does. It teaches you the way things should be. It teaches you what you need to know. Like it teaches you in the beginning that, that God created the world. It tells you about who God is, that he always was, and he makes all things. It shows us what God's standard is, what he intended. And then uh, it, it goes on and, and, and tells us about how the world works, how it, how it functions. So let's bring it back to baseball for a second if we can. As a kid, I, I loved watching the pros. I loved watching Tom Glavin and, and his wind-up and how that worked and, and thinking through that. Or, or, or Greg Maddock and his pitches and the repertoire that he had was so deep and all the different things that he could do. And I learned from it. That was, that was for me, the standard of pitching. And, and, and I, I looked at that standard. And, and first off here for us, the, the Scripture shows us the standard. It says that God is God, that God creates all things. He then makes mankind to enjoy all things in relationship with God, that mankind then turns from God, that's sin, and that the result of turning from the life giver is death. You say, I don't need you, I'm going to do my own thing. The wages of sin then is, is death. God could have been done with us. He could have said, okay, if that's what you want, I'm done. See you later. Go and live your life, but you will die. But in his goodness and his grace, he pursues us because he loves us. Just like if my kids turn rebellious in their teenage years, I'm not going to say, well, see you later. I'm going to pursue them, and God pursues them. And the way he does it is he raises up this nation, and from this nation, the Savior comes, Jesus, who's actually God himself. He's our rescuer. He lives perfectly the life we couldn't live. He dies, though, on a cross, undeserving of the wage of sin, which is death, but he lays it all down, and he dies on the cross in, a, in our place as our substitution so that if we would trust in what he has done, then we're, we're made right with God. He then resurrects to life, showing that he's victorious over Satan's sin and death. He appears for 40 days. He ascends into heaven. He says, listen, I'm coming back again. So if you're a Christian, it means that you have not been good enough. You don't go to church. That doesn't make you a Christian, but you've trusted in Jesus. Right? And the whole of the Bible tells us that story. The whole of the Bible is all about Jesus. The Bible is our teacher. It's our teacher. It tells us how it's supposed to be and, and how God brings it back to how it's supposed to be after it gets corrupted. The Bible is our teacher. Next, is, it says the Bible is profitable for reproof. Another word for that is, is re- rebuke, depending on your translation. It might say that. So what this means is that the Bible shows you your error. It shows you your mistakes. And so, again, like with my pitching as a, as a young guy, I saw the standard, but then I needed to see how I personally missed the standard. So I had to identify where I, as a little league baseball player, didn't line up with my baseball heroes, where I, I fell short. And the Bible is really good at that. It tells us where we miss the standard. People hate this about Scripture, by the way. People do not want the Bible to tell them where they're wrong. People only want the Bible to give them a big old hug and squeeze, and it's good for that too. But that's all they want. They take what they like, and they leave what they don't like, and they dissect the Bible. You got to take all of it or none of it. 
it's consistent, or if it's not, it's unreliable. I don't see how people can believe parts of the Bible, but not the whole thing. I'll take the love, I'll leave the I'm sinful part out of it. It doesn't make sense. The Bible tells us of our shortcomings, of our sin. And don't think that's a bad thing. That's a very, very good thing. As a baseball player, if I said, I'm perfect, I'm not going to get any better. I'm not going to grow. And the Bible is good for reproof or rebuke. It's never fun. Nobody likes to be told how lame we are, right? But it does that because it's essential for moving towards godliness. And I, as a Christian, constantly read the scripture and say, well, I don't line up there. I don't line up there either. I don't line up there either. God is good, though, that he still loves me anyhow. It's good for reproof or rebuke. The next one, it goes in the scripture is profitable for correcting. So whereas rebuke or reproof is, is negative, correcting now moves into the, the positive. That would be really awful. The Bible just says, you're terrible, you're sinful, just so you know. See you later. That would be awful, right? It goes on, it says, but here's how we correct it. See, if we just looked at the sin, 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 sin alone, it would be kind of a, a bummer of a book. But it says, here's how you correct it. I just want you to see that you need a savior. And now here's, here's the answer. It, it corrects the error. It says, here's how you get on track. And how do we get on track? It tells us Jesus. Right? Jesus has done for you what you could never do. Jesus lived perfectly the life you couldn't live so that if you trust in him, you're made right. So Christians aren't people who say, I'm better than everybody else. Look how well I have lived my life. And you look down your nose at everybody else. That's not it at all. You don't say I'm corrected because I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I'm good to go. Look at me. That's what religion is. That's how self-righteous, arrogant people emerge. That's religion, right? But the Bible is, I'm not corrected because of me. I'm corrected because Jesus has done for me what I couldn't do for myself, and I trust in him. So in baseball, my dad would help me correct my errors. He would say things like, okay, your foot shouldn't be on top of the rubber. It should be beside the rubber. You should push off with it. Dig a little hole and push off. Or turn the seams this way, and the ball will do this. If you release this way, the ball will do this. He helped me correct my error. It wasn't just, yeah, that's, that's pretty bad, Josh. See, I'm going inside. And it says, that's, that's wrong. But here's right. And for believers, it's you're sinful. But here's, here's the correct. It's trusting in Jesus. He's the only way to salvation. People say, why's it got to be the only way? That seems not cool. People don't like hearing that Jesus is the only way, but he's telling you the way. (laughs) It's not like he's saying, there's only one way, but you don't get to hear it. So it doesn't make him bad. It makes him good. It's clear. Here's the way unto salvation. That's a good thing. That's a really, really good thing. And in our lives, the Bible doesn't just show us our sin. It shows us our sin and shows us the correct way, and the correct way is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. More on that in just a minute. So the scripture is useful for teaching, for proof, and for correcting. And finally, the scripture is useful or profitable for, what's it say? For training in righteousness. So the Bible is good for training in righteousness, to move you towards godliness. But, this is important, before we get to training in righteousness, first, teaching, learn the standard, and then rebuke or reproof, learn your error, how you fall short of the standard, and then correcting, right? then trusting in Jesus, and then, catch this, only then training in righteousness. 
This is so, so important. Because here's my fear, and honestly, my hesitation, and it has been a hesitation for some time as I've been brewing with, do we do a spiritual discipline series? My hesitation has been that we would move straight to the discipline. We would move straight to the training in righteousness without the teaching and the rebuke and the correcting. And what happens when we move straight to the training in righteousness, we start to say, I'm spiritual. Look at all the spiritual type things I'm doing with my life. Look how disciplined I am. I'm straight with God, therefore I'm, I'm godly because I did this and I did this. God is pleased with me. I earned it. I pray. I read my Bible. I meditate. I attend church. Uh, I do this, 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 and this. No. That's not how it works. You can pile on any practice you want. But the answer is still no. It doesn't necessarily make you godly. And let me explain a little bit more. So you remember when you were younger and people with good intentions would say to you, you can do anything that you want to do if you work hard enough, son. Anybody ever had that said to them? Something along those lines? Listen, I love encouraging teenagers and kids. I do it all the time. I travel a lot to do that. I I love that. But let me tell you something. You can do anything you want to do if you only work hard enough is a lie. (laughs) Let me just say that. It's a lie. Point in case. Me? LeBron James. All right? Enough said, you're dismissed, right? <laughs> you remember LeBron and the Hummer when he was in high school? And I, he couldn't play senior year of high school because he took the Hummer. So me and LeBron, if we put the exact same amount of hours growing up in the gym with the basketball in our hands, no, let's change it. If I put, if I put 10 times more amount of hours in the gym than LeBron, I would still never make it to the NBA. Maybe Pastor Dan at six foot 30 inches, something like that. (laughs) But most definitely not me. Absolutely not happening. Listen, I don't have the capacity to make it to the NBA. I'm so glad my parents didn't lie to me and be like, just spend your, don't even go to college. Just hang out and live in our house till you're 30. Just keep shooting hoops and maybe. I'm so glad they didn't lie to me. Listen, you do not within yourself have spiritual capacity for godliness. You don't. Listen, Boston is very spiritual. A lot of spiritualism. It's the birthplace of a lot of different kinds of religions, but that doesn't make us godly. Doing all kinds of spiritual activity doesn't make us godly. doesn't. I mean, God doesn't look down and say, look at them. All kind of church business. They're so godly. I'm so pleased with them. God doesn't say that. Read your Bible, right? And when you read your Bible, who is Jesus screaming at the most? The religious people who thought they were godly, who were full of themselves for the very reason. Who's he not screaming at? Who's he tender with and compassionate with? The woman who committed adultery and everybody was surrounding her with stones. The ungodly people. They had the most capacity for godliness because they were ready to receive Jesus. But the people who thought, I got it all together. I'm great. Look at me. It's not how it works. 
See how the Christian faith is different from every other faith system out there? Because they don't work. But when you trust in Jesus, it works. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't say without all the spiritual disciplines, it's impossible to please God. It says without faith. And what is faith? Trusting in someone else. I put my faith in Jesus. Without that, it's impossible to please God. So this series is not about go be spiritually disciplined. I'm afraid that you would just do that. That's my, honestly, that's my, my fear. No. First, exercise faith in Jesus. Say yes to the free gift of Jesus. And then, and only then, do you now have capacity for godliness because the faith that God has implanted into your heart. Now you have the God-given capacity for godliness within you. hope that makes sense. Back to LeBron. LeBron has the capacity, God-given capacity, genetically speaking, for NBA stardom within him. However, he has the God-given capacity, but if he doesn't train at all, he wouldn't have just walked right into the NBA. He still spent hours so that he could be a star. He had the capacity but he had to train. And listen to me, if you've placed faith in Jesus, you now have the capacity for godliness. You are holy. But I want you to understand this. There are two kinds of holiness. Another phrase for this is sanctification. It's theology here. Theology basic 101 for you. When you give your life to Christ, you are declared holy. Not because you've done it and earned it, but because he's done it and he's earned it. You're you're declared holy in position. Does that make sense? But now you have to become holy in practice. You have to pursue godliness and learn to live in a way that that is growing and becoming more and more Christ-like. Not so that you can earn it, but because you've been placed in this amazing position. Like the, the, the famous story, the Christian illustration of the king who leaves his palace and he goes into the, the, the village to see all of his, his people, his subjects, and he sees a little boy over there who's an orphan playing in the mud and he's hungry. And he says, let's bring that boy in. He's now, he's now my son. And he adopts him and he feeds him. He is now a royal. He doesn't know how to act royal, does he? But he's a royal in position. But at the dinner table, he's still slopping all over the place. The king now has to train him how to act like a royal. And that's what spiritual discipline is. You've been given holiness. You've been sanctified, set apart, but now grow in sanctification, grow in holiness. Position, and now practice. And my fear is, in doing a study on the spiritual disciplines is that we go straight to practice and we start to look all kind of godly. But we're just piling muscle on top of cancer. It's not good. So, what we need is the capacity and the capacity comes through faith in Christ and then we've got to work. 
we've got to, as Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, we've got to beat our body, he says, or I've got to discipline my body, keep it under control. Stop hitting the spiritual snooze button and get off your tail and train for godliness at the start of this new year. And so, if you've been taught, standard, if you've been then rebuked or reproved by the scripture and you see how you missed the standard, and then if you've been corrected by faith alone in Christ, then you can begin to train in godliness. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work, so that you can go out, man or woman of God, and you can perform in a way that honors the Lord, that you can do amazing things for God and for his kingdom. Why and how? Because you are ingesting the breathed out word of God. And so my prayer for us is that we would, we would, we would perform well. We would be godly. Because he has given us the capacity for that. And now we're growing in godliness. And the primary means to do that is through the scripture. And there are others and we're going to walk through them. But for the sake of this morning, it's the scripture. And so I want to round third base and just end very, very practically if I can. And so here's, here's what I want to do. I just want to simply close by just sharing with you kind of my, my routine in the scriptures, what I do daily. Um, I want you to see it so that you can you know, learn how I do it, and hopefully it'll help you. Um, it's not going to look just like the way I do it for you. Everybody's situations are different, but hopefully it'll maybe jog your, your mind a little bit and you can start to say, hey, that might work, or maybe I could do this, that's similar. Or, I, I just pray this will be helpful for you, catalytic for you, so that you might develop practices, training, exercises in the, the word. And so here they are. I'll give, you, I'll give you seven. It's God's favorite number. So my son is seven. His number on ba- his baseball team was seven. He likes to tell all the kids on his team, this is God's favorite number. <laughs> okay. He's kind of cocky like that. First thing I do, I wake up early in the morning, and I have morning study. You want to write that down? Morning study. I set the alarm, and I'm up early. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17 says this. God speaking, I love them, but they love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. It says, you seek me early, you shall find me. What's the example of Jesus? Mark chapter 135, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. And he prayed and he pursued the Lord. For us, that would be getting into the scriptures. I love mornings, honestly. Maybe it sounds crazy. I love mornings more than anything. I love getting up early in the morning and seeking the Lord and training in godliness. Getting in the scriptures and seeing what God has for me, opening up the treasures and just ingesting. It's amazing. Next thing is, I'm in the scripture with my children. So if you're writing these down, number two is I'm in the scripture with my, my children. Around six in the morning, I've been up for a while already. My kids start to wake up. And my oldest son wakes up first among the three because he's identical to me. He's just like me in so many ways. It's insane. He loves to get up early in the morning. He can pop out of bed and like carry on a full conversation. Some of you are like, give me three hours and then I'll talk to you, right? That's not my son. He gets up and, and we start talking and we get into the scriptures. Lately, we've been reading the book of Mark together. And he's just really starting to roll in his ability to read. And we read it, just a little chunk, and we talk about it. There was one week where or a couple weeks ago, where we read something and it applied to something that ha- had happened to him in the classroom upstairs on a Sunday here. 
And it was so cool for him to see, like, oh, that really works in my own life. I mean, amazing. He loves that. Not long after that, my other two kids get out of bed. They're a little younger. And so we pull out not just the, the adult Bible. We pull out these kids' Bibles. And we read through the kids' Bible together. We make observations and we talk. And we pray about living out the scriptures. And don't get me wrong. This is not, hey, boys, Nora, break out your paper and your pen. Let's do this. It's not, no, it's very casual. But that's what we do. And it's a sweet, sweet time together. If you're looking for some good resources for training your kids and getting into the scripture with your kids, charlesriverchurch.com forward slash resources. And there's recommended readings and kids' Bibles that are phenomenal there for you. Check that out. Here's a number three for you is in my car. I'm, I'm then in the scriptures in my car. And here's what that looks like. So on my way into the office, I have my kids with me and I drop them off at school. And along the way, we're, we're praying every day, but we're also occasionally saying, hey, what's, what's the kids' Connect Bible memory version this week? And drilling them with those. And they're quoting scripture back to me in my car. In my own personal discipleship group, we're memorizing two scriptures a week. And it's just amazing for us. I, I tend to average two to three scripture a month in terms of, of memorizing scripture. And they just kind of get filed in the back of your mind. And when it's appropriate, God brings it to the front of your mind. It's amazing how he does that. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. In other words, I'm memorizing scripture. I'm, I'm getting it within me so that the appropriate time it's, it's being used in my life. So my car is a great place that I do that and elsewhere get into my office. I have a Bible on my desk at all times. I have a dry erase board with scripture posted on it, written on it. So my office scripture is there. Listen, don't leave your faith at home. Bring your faith with you to work, whatever that looks like. Lunch break, it's a good time to read your Bible. Bring it with you to work. When I was started, when I was a sophomore in high school, I, I asked my mom if I could get a smaller Bible because I wanted to bring it to school every day. And in my backpack every day was my Bible and it came out. It goes everywhere with me. Today, we got this thing called the smartphone. Get the Bible app. It's everywhere with you. It's, it's great. So in my office. Here's number five for you. Is in my free time. In my free time, I try to get in the Word. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize anything here. I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not the guy who just reads the Bible all day long. <laughs> I don't want you to think that. But I, I try to take free time and pleasurably read the, the Scriptures. I can't tell you um, how many times I, I'll, I'll just my off day, just go to a cafe or a coffee shop and just read my Bible there. And, and one thing that happens often is people will come up to me and go, oh, that's great, you have a Bible. Are you a seminary student? Which I'm always like, is it only seminarians who read their Bible? But that, you know what, that's what people think. And I get that. Acts chapter 16 a handful of Christians go down to a riverside and they start to pray. They live their faith in public and the church at Philippi, the most healthy church in the Bible, is born. How? People being believers in public places. We need more of us reading our Bible open, not just us seminarians and theologians and pastors. More of us reading with our Bible open when we're out and about. number of people that are here in our church today are here because of coffee shop relationships that have been built. One time I, I had my Bible open, and then I went to get a refill on my coffee, and I came back down, and the guy in front of me leans over, he goes, I see you're reading Ephesians. I said, you went snooping? Nah, that's it. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, you like the Bible? He goes, yeah. And we started talking, and he started coming to our church. It's a pretty cool, 
pretty cool deal. So my, my free time. Another one is with other people. With other people. Reading the Bible with other people. And you see all these kind of overlap. But one of my, I just love being in the Bible. This idea of me and my Bible by myself is an amazing gift of God. But it's kind of a new thing since the printing press. Right? Before there was a scroll and the church would get together and read it. Like this treasure, you know, open it up. What's it got to say? What's God have for us? So reading the Bible with other people is huge. I mean, it's just huge. So I love in the evenings with my wife. It's one of the sweetest times, just getting in the scriptures together. It's amazing. We read through this devotional as of late, Charles Spurgeon, morning and evening devotionals. And it's been a really great time. We read it and just talk together. It's really brief. We're not intense. She doesn't think like I do. She's not sitting there parsing Greek words. And that's not how she does it. But it's a sweet time together. And, and for you, it could be your connection group. If you're not plugged into a connection group in our church where we just work through what's been taught on Sunday mornings, you should do that. So list on the inside of your, your river guide there. You should, you should pursue one of those or a discipleship group. And study the scriptures with other people. So back to baseball for a second. With that being said, you know, I, I trained hard and I was throwing the ball into the tire. But like I said, the best was when dad came home. And it wasn't just me throwing at a tire, but I was training with somebody else. And for you and your faith, the best is when you don't just read the scripture and scratch your head, but you're with somebody else. And hey, what do you think about that? What's God saying to you? And you, we experienced that this weekend, men, didn't we? In the men's retreat, just talking through the scripture together. That's the best. And I want you to have that with others. And then the last one uh, for me, number seven, is I just, I double, double my time all the time. I've told you guys this quite a bit. I try to, you know, time is limited. I don't have a lot of time on my hands. So when I go for a run, I try to make it a run and a, a Bible time. Now, this is not me running with my Bible. <laughs> but because of the Bible app, you can click play, and it'll read the scriptures to you. And now in the winter times, I don't run outside, but I go to the, to the gym and run on the treadmill. I'm a treadmill guy, by the way, on, just in the winters. I refuse to do the elliptical thing because um, I just don't want to be Tony Little. You know what I'm talking about with the hat and the ponytail. And the, I, that's, I don't ever want to be confused at all. And so I'm a treadmill guy, not a gazelle guy. But I saw this guy in the treadmill recently, and they had rigged this clipboard kind of contraption. And they, you have a clipboard, and it's got this little thing where you can put your book on the clipboard on the treadmill. That was pretty cool. But I tried it, and I just can't focus because <laughs> I just, I'm like, I, I lose my place. It's already hard enough just to sit down and focus, you know, but to do it while you don't, can't even read. So I do the Bible app and click play and listen to it. It's, it's a great, great gig for me. And I double my time. I'm exercising physically, and I'm exercising spiritually. And listen, guys, that's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you, is for you to train, exercise your soul, and become strong in the Lord, become godly. So hopefully that, that, that's helpful for you. But listen, as Paul said last week, 1 Corinthians 9, as we saw, this is a race. This is not a leisurely jog. The Christian faith is if you're going to enter into the race, run hard. Be serious. And, and run as though you're trying to win, is what he says. And so I want to encourage you to train in godliness. Train in godliness and righteousness. But remember the first three, 
You've got to see the standard, teaching. You've got to see how you fall short of the standard. And you've got to be corrected by faith. And then you're godly in position. And then pursue godliness, training in righteousness. And so some of us today, I'll close with this. Some of us today need to say yes to Jesus. You need to say yes to Jesus. You say, I'm turning from sin. I'm turning to him. I'm trusting in him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him all the days of my life. I, I, I want to say yes that I recognize my sin and how I miss the standard. I miss the mark. And yet how you're so good that you would die for me. And I recognize that. I'm turning to you and I'm trusting faith in that. Without what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Some of you today, the best way you know how is we pray. You need to pray and say, yes, I'm turning to you, God. I'm giving it to you today. I'm trusting what you've done for me. Others of us in the room today, we need to say, yeah, I'm positionally holy, but I really want to pursue holiness. I want to pursue godliness. I want to train, and I'm going to open up my scriptures this year. And I'm going to, I'm going to train to be godly. So let me pray and invite you guys into that. Father, thank you so much for your word. May we see it as treasure. May we see it as it is that the authority on all things says, I'm at your disposal. And may we not insult you by never cracking it. But may we also just receive all the the good, good truth in the scripture. The living and active word of God that does this living work in our hearts as we feed upon it. I pray that we'd be able to sing a song someday. It would be true of all of us that this is my daily bread, the very word spoken to me. And it would be true. First, I want to pray, God, for the people in this room who have never given their lives to Jesus. Pray that today they would trust in Jesus. They would turn from sin and turn to you and place faith in you. They would say yes to you. And so as we pray and as we sing, would you help them to call upon you? And for the rest of us, help us to move forward. In receiving your word, ingesting your word, so that we might grow in our godliness. And we thank you for the morning. Thank you for your word. Commend all these things to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.